Today's episode of Flying Coach on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us and help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate, please. If you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen. It's a charitable donation. Once again, that is theringer.com slash WCK. We started Flying Coach to raise money for the Warriors Community Foundation and the Seahawks Charitable Foundation. But as a thank you to all the frontline workers for COVID-19, Pete Carroll and his company, Compete to Create, are offering a free online course and high-performance mindset coincidentally called Warrior's Edge. You can find it by going to his website at competetocreate.net backslash Warrior's Edge. It will be available for free for anyone working with COVID-19. Through the end of 2020 in general, the course is an incredible insider look into Pete's philosophy, culture, and leadership. A lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast. Coming up, Steve Kerr, Pete Carroll, Flying Coach. Flying Coach Podcast. Here we go. Uh, we've got a great guest today, uh, baseball super agent, but much more importantly, Pete Carroll's college roommate, Scott Boris, <laughs> is here. Scott, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's really uh, neat to be here with you, Steve, and, and it's nice to make sure that Pete's civil in this whole conversation. All right, no doubt. <laughs> I will be. Hey, Scott, good to have you, man. Thanks for joining us. This was great fun. Always a pleasure, brother. No doubt. Pete, did I get that? Did I get that right? Were you actually roommates or fraternity well, brothers? Kind of, or? Kind of, kind of, across we were, the hall. Yeah, yeah, across the hall, fraternity brothers. Yeah. Back in the day at University of the Pacific, uh, UOP, in case anybody forgot, Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. There's not many of us left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I know that you played football there, Pete. And Scott, were you a baseball player at UOP? Heck yeah. Yeah, I played baseball there and then uh, played professional baseball for the Cardinals and Cubs uh, at once I signed out of there. Yep. He's a pretty good, pretty good ball player now. I mean, you know, he came, he came up the hard way, had to earn it. And, Pretty good freaking hitter. Hit over 300 and, you know, all that good stuff. Did you guys used to go to each other's games? Oh, heck yeah. I went to all the football games and and uh, we had Pete's era. They, they had winning teams and they had, they had a great coach and and uh, it was exciting. It was uh, about 40,000 fans in the stadium in Central California and they were beating, I think we were the PC2A then, I think, Pete. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Back right. in the day. That's right. We had we had a little we had a little quick little run there. That was, it was right. quick and that was over, and then football died out. So yeah, uh, we're, we're kind of the last last hope of it all. So, but it was we had we had a really fun time. It was a really good time to be at, at school there, real small school, and everybody knew everybody, and we had a blast. You guys got forty thousand fans at your so, games? No, not really, Scott. That's, I'm <laughs> glad you said that, but it's not really. It wasn't quite that many. <laughs> I think one time you played Santa. Somebody for the championship. You got a big, really big audience for that one game. We had a couple of good crowds, but not yeah. always. It was All like right. friends and fa it felt like friends and family. You know, <laughs> well, wasn't that where the twelfth man was invented? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No. Uh, uh, a lot, a lot of beer drinking back in the day. I yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, hey, Scott, every, everybody who's a football fan knows Pete Carroll. They know him as the coach. You're one of the few people who really knew him as a player. So give us give us the, the <laughs> thumbnail scouting report on Pete Carroll, football player for the Pacific oh, Tigers. You know, when you don't play the same sports 
and you kind of, cause you know, you're, we're all like high school quarterbacks and I tell Pete every day, I got a better arm than him, of course, <laughs> but the, the, the idea of it is for me, what is the intensity this dude would come back to the room and he'd have this football shape on his forehead because he hit with his head all the time. He's a defensive back. And I'm going, Hey, you know, can we talk about angular functionality so that you can reduce the, uh, you know, this is like, it's like hitting a baseball, you know, you hit the guy, but don't do it with your head. And he'd go, no, no, no. It, it's got to sound right. It's got to sound right. You know? And so it's not that you tackle the guy. It's got to sound and feel right. You know, you gotta, you gotta have that, but monstrous intensity, perfection and detail. I think, the one thing Pete and I shared were we always were anxious to find out the latest information and what we could do to get better as players. We both had great passion about our sport and uh, you kind of resonated that most of the athletes were there and enjoyed the game and, and played. But what I liked was, is that not being a, in the science of college football, but Pete could explain it to me. He could talk to me about the intricacies, the details, how you get the edge on things. And I love that. I love learning about all the things that he would notice and how the coach would jump him about certain things and do things. And yet in coaching moments, he loved the detail and almost liked the critique to where he knew it was going to make him better. Those are my, my observations. And, uh, and he also liked tall women. I remember that. Absolutely. At least you finally got, at least you finally got something right there. <laughs> let's, uh, let's flip it around. Pete. Yeah. Okay, good. I, I'm glad, I'm glad to have this shot right here. Yeah. Uh, Scouting okay, so report. You, what you don't know is is the background, the academic background. This, this guy was a pharmacy student. He was the guy wearing the little white coats around campus, you know. And they'd be, you know, they're, they're on, in pharmacy school. There was they were like a, a whole kind of faction that was we didn't understand. It was all the chemistry stuff, and, and it's all the way back to the to back to then in the day. He was he was all into the details, and he liked the science, and he liked all the you know all the crazy stuff that I didn't have a clue about. But uh, <laughs> but it turned out he wound up going to, to law school as well, and all that. But back in the day, when you went to UOP, you had to you had to love ball. Now, if you're a baseball player, you're a football player. It, I mean, I was like the last guy that got on got on scholarship there. You had to work your way through it too, you know, walking in into it and all that. And showing them who you were. It was really a time when guys had to, all of our guys, our buddies that we hung out with, everybody was there to prove something. And Scott was one of those guys, man. He had a chip on his shoulder about competing and battling and, and was a, a fantastic, uh, detailed athlete. And, and uh, he carried it all the way into his study. I mean, this, he loves the, the, the science of hitting the baseball and, and the whole game and all of that. And he's taken it to so many depths. Uh, it's not, not a surprise. You know, really, Scott, if you think about it, we were a little bit wacky about our sport, man. We, it meant more to us than some other guys and that we did. Just, we we needed to know more. We wanted to know why is it happening? What can we do to get better? You know, why is it like? To, why is this coach yapping at me in this this way or that way? And and uh, so it was really a good kind of a uh, you know a ground laying of, of where we wound up going. Nobody would have ever expected it though. Look where you are, man. Look where you are. Jeez. Yeah. Look, you're look rolling. where you are. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I yeah. don't know. You know, we, calling uh, shots in baseball is pretty good. <laughs> You know, Steve, the one thing that you always want to be around, I think, when you're an athlete, that there's a rhythm of competitiveness. 
you know, when you hit a guy up, you're going to get, you're going to feel, you're going to feel it. You're going to leave the room and you're going to want to compete. You're going to want to get better. And to me, that's, that, that, there are a few guys like that because guys played, but they're, the, the answer is you can play the game, but do you always want to get better at the game and you want to understand the game better? And, and for me, being around those types of people, Pete was certainly one of them. And, and uh, it brought an energy to you that, you know, you kind of went back and said, look, I, I got to do more. I got to do more. And, and that's an instinctive feel that he has, you know? You know, I think it's, it's, it's interesting that we have both, you know, chased it for so long. You know, I mean, baseball has been your love your entire life. Football has been my love and sports my entire life. And we fortunate enough, we got to build a career around it and and keep digging in and be the wackos that we are, you know, to just keep trying to figure out a way to get better and try to beat people and win games and championships and all that stuff. So, uh, been pretty awesome. Obviously the competitive juice that you guys are talking about and that curiosity carried carried you forward into your next career. So I'm interested, Scott, you, you finish school, you get drafted, you go play. Uh, how many years did you play uh, professionally? I played about five years. I had three knee operations and uh, I uh, finished my uh, doctor of pharmacy and pharmacology. And then I went back to uh, law school. And mm-hmm. um, while I was in law school, my uh, my teammates uh, kept reaching out to me, talking to me, and I went to work for a major law firm in uh, in Chicago and kept calling. And I uh, I finally realized that uh, I did some pro bono work, and I, I the baseball draft was like the players had gotten the same bonuses for 17 years in a row, and the <laughs> revenues of the game had quadrupled. I said, I'm going to help these kids, and so I picked two players that I picked the first and second players chosen in the draft. And I'm going like, you know what? I think I, I, the Cardinal organization taught me how to evaluate talent. And so we (laughs) kind of got into that way. And then my teammates called and did a contract for a player, got my, they took our picture in sports illustrated and the phone started ringing. And that's how my career started. Yeah. So, so there weren't really any grand plans to become an agent. It just sort of, you just almost fell into it uh, after law school. You know, you, uh, the one thing you kept hearing from your teammates was that they didn't care about the legal side. What they cared more about was that we would have talks when we played together about how to comfort them, how to make them better, how to, how do you could listen to what they have to say and then um, give them a, an approach to go to the next day. And I think that's why a lot of them kept in contact because, you know, these guys had, I played, we, we played in the minor leagues, which is kind of, we had like seven or eight major leaguers on one team. And, um, and they were uh, phenomenal players and, and went on to have great careers. And you kept talking to them along the way. And you really realized what they enjoyed most was how do I manage myself? How do I get better? How do I enjoy this? And it's what I want. I want it so bad, but it, it bears such a burden on me. And I want to be around people that can can really help me deal with my skill and enjoy this more and and get me to that zone of success, if you will. And you know, it's kind of that the being a uh, an optimal performance optimal at the optimal times kind of thing, you know. And so we, um, you kind of realize that you had a a skill in this and talking to players. And uh, believe me, it was a lot better than 
representing pharmaceutical corporations and, <laughs> in, and dealing with Reyes monkey studies and litigation, believe me. So, uh, well, it sounds awesome. a lot like coaching, really. I mean, sure it, is. because no, it it's the same, same thing, right? You're just trying to help help an athlete get better and help somebody improve. And and uh, were you guys, Pete, were you guys staying in touch uh, throughout this, uh, your, your respective career paths? We kind of have, over the years, well, when he started popping up all over the place in baseball, I, you know, I was following his career and just seeing how, where it was going. And it was such an, an extraordinary ascent, you know, to, to to the point where, you know, he's everybody's bad boy, you know, in, in baseball and all that. <laughs> Holy cow. And it's just Scotty Borch, you know. So I was like, what the heck, man? So we did stay in touch a little bit all the way through the years, and, and it's been fun to be, stay connected and all that. And, you know, Steve, Pete is the worst at a baseball game because he's going, man, that guy could be a DB. That guy could be a linebacker. <laughs> I got, I'm going like, all right. <laughs> Does he have bat speed, you know? <laughs> so, uh, Way too much. Uh, frenetic energy to be yeah, uh, a yeah, baseball guy. Yeah. Yeah. Pete's in the right sport for yeah, sure. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. I love it. The thing that we really do share is, is in Scott is, I don't know other guys in baseball, you know, how they handle their business and all, but I know that you have really, and I think you said it, Steve, he, he has taken under his wing, coaching these guys up and coaching them to find the best in their careers. And, and it's so much more than just bat speed and, 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 you know, a good glove and a good arm and stuff. It's handling and it's dealing with it. And, and you, like you're saying, Scott, you know, the issues that guys deal with as they're maturing and they're, they're growing up into their careers. And there's so many things going on around these guys and they want to play baseball and they want the other stuff to not be the problem. Well, they don't have all the answers all the time. Our guys don't either. You know, we have to help them through stuff. And you've done exactly that. In pro sports, the great thing is about, and, and it's fortunate because it's few people Get, get to be involved in it is that you're around greatness and greatness is a uh, a very special thing to manage and to deal with and because usually they're there's they know it they feel it they have expectations and then they have a dedication to it and they they have a want about it but managing greatness to me is the most intriguing thing because Great players often have the edge, and that edge causes really a lot of issues in their lives. It causes a dimension about them that uh, is so uh, so difficult to equate a normalcy to them. And when you carry greatness with you, you have to have a, a normalcy pattern for them that is their own. And I don't need to tell you guys because you've been around greatness and you know your whole lives and uh, but it is something I've found that it takes a very unique process um, it takes something where you you have to take it individually with the athlete and basically getting into that fear that the every greatness has the greatest fear and that is that I have got to be what I should be and I, I gotta, I gotta be that guy that I should be, and it wears them out because once they have the great season, the most difficult season is always the next season because the expectation of the ease of their performance that the fans see, uh, the brilliance they see, it, it, it's like they should be able to give it and give it every day, and I know you you gentlemen in your careers, you know exactly what I'm talking about because there is almost an internal anger about what they have to go through to repeat that greatness. 
I would think that it's even more pronounced in in baseball because it, it's such a difficult sport to repeat uh, in terms of production. Like you know, basketball, if a guy is in his prime and he's getting 20 a night, you can kind of count on the fact that he's going to get 20 a night the next year or two. Whereas baseball, you know, somebody finds a hole in his swing, whatever it is, all of a sudden guy gets in a little bit of a slump. Uh, you know, he goes four or five games without getting a hit. You're supposed to be the best player in the big leagues. There's got to be such incredible, intense pressure. And when you have that edge and you have that talent, and yet you're playing in a sport where you fail more often than you succeed, I would think that's something you have to deal with as an agent with some of your clients. Yeah, you. Uh, I get a call one day and I hear the car on and it's it's got a bit of an echoey. And I said, where are you at? He goes, I'm in my garage. <laughs> and uh, I said, you're in your garage? And I said, is the door open? <laughs> I, wa- I wanted to ask the Quake, yeah. And he goes, I can't go to the ballpark today. He goes, I'm in a horrible funk. I'm miserable. I just can't do it. And I go, you know, kind of who you are and you, you kind of have to go to the ballpark <laughs> and you, because uh, people will be wondering. And I go, I, you notice you're having this conversation in your car. You're not having it in the house where your wife is. Is there a particular <laughs> reason for that? <laughs> and, and the answer to that always is, um, yeah, I, ju- I just wanted to call you because you don't want your wife to hear what you're talking about. And so I said, you know what you, what, what is it? And he goes, I- I'm just, I, I can't face this guy tonight. He owns me and I'm, I'm in a miserable slump. I just can't go out and embarrass myself any further. And I, and I go, you know, you're multiple all-star, you're a highly compensated player. You're all these things. You have amazing ability. What makes you think you can't do something to benefit your team? And he goes, no, I just, I, I just, I, I can't see it. I, I just, I, I can't visualize the baseball right now. I said, okay, fair enough. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the ballpark. We're going to show up and we're going to arrive and you're going to do something defensively. You're going to not swing. You don't have to swing the whole night. Just take every pitch and you're going to work on getting your vision back. You're going to see 20 or so pitches, work on getting your vision back. I go, but you're going to show up because you're a member of the team. You're going to do it. And I said, you can imagine people would be, you're going to cause a big stir if you don't. Oh, okay. You're right. You're right. So he drives the ballpark, calls me about three hours before the game. He goes, you know, should I just not take BP? I said, do what you want to do. I think your, your goal today is you're going to prepare just to see the baseball. That's your, that's your goal. You know, you got a great batting average. You're actually having a great season. You're in this horrible funk, but just see the baseball. So he calls me about, 15 minutes before the game, and he goes, I'm supposed to go out to the game and not swing tonight? <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I said, you don't have to. Just go out there. Your goal is to see the baseball. You're going to come home and say, I saw these pitches. You don't have to swing. Don't worry about it. Just go there and look at the baseball. That's what you want to accomplish tonight. And, and run the bases well if you get on. Make a great defensive play. You know, encourage your teammates, be a leader, do something functional for your team. That's your goal today. You don't have to worry about hitting. Don't worry about it. Oh, man, I, I can't go out there. I just have, <laughs> when have I ever gone to a game and not got into a game without thinking about swinging? I go, 
you've earned this. Your greatness, you've earned this. You can go and be in a major league game and you get to just look. You get to be that guy. I go, we would all want to be that person. Lucky you. Go do that. So <laughs> goes in the game and, <laughs> he, and of course, he's facing a pitcher that he hits about 150 lifetime off of, of course, you know. <laughs> and, but the reality of it is, I think he went two or three for four, drove in five runs, hits a bomb, his second at bat, <laughs> calls me after the game, he's driving home, and he goes, unbelievable. <laughs> the ball was like a beach ball. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I was just unreal. And I said, now you've learned the powers of expectation. Now you've learned the powers of what you need to do to manage the monster of fear. I said, so when, you, when you step into this, you're, you're not there to talk about what you're not. You're there to talk about what you can really bring from yourself that day. And it, it comes in so many ways when you're, when you're a teammate and what you do. And uh, That's a cool story. But the main, the main reason of it was, you know, he goes like, it, it's just unreal. So I, he hangs up the phone. He calls me back about 15 seconds later. He goes, hey, I've been in this funk for like two weeks. Why in the hell didn't you call me 10 days ago? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But I want you guys to know that all of this is, is not original to me. It's taught to me. It was taught to me by a great, great man named Harvey Dorfman, who is a remarkable sports psychologist. Um, he wrote the, me the mental game of baseball, and it could be the mental game of accounting. It's, it's about how you approach and what you do. But he was a, a brilliant, brilliant man at teaching me about how to help athletes. Brings to mind an interesting uh, dynamic as it relates to coaches and agents. Uh, I, I don't know uh, if you've felt this way, Pete, at all, um, or if any of your players have felt this way, but I know when I played, there were times, just like Scott, you said, uh, the, the, the player didn't want to say anything in front of his wife. You know, he, he didn't, I, I, I assume he didn't want his wife hearing him speak so uh, unconfidently, right? I didn't really want to tell my coaches when I lost confidence, you know? So I would call my agent, uh, Mark Bartlestein in Chicago uh, represented me for years. And, and he, he, you know, he's a great, great friend, great basketball fan, watches everything on league pass. So sometimes I'd be struggling. I'd just give him a call because the last thing I want to do is go tell the guy who controls my playing time. Hey man, I'm I, the ball. The, the rim looks like a thimble right now. So <laughs> I would. I, I'm interested in that dynamic. You know, as an agent, you're known as the guy who negotiates the contract, but but you're really a coach too. But you then have to navigate the dynamic of are you stepping on the coach's toes, the GM's toes? Like that's a tricky one to dance around. Yeah, I, I have I have a rule. I think you know you don't. I don't ever talk about physicality about the coaching of the game. Like, you know, I tell players, I'm not a hitting coach. I'm not a pitching coach. You know, you know a lot about the games. I can tell you how to repeat your greatness. I'll send you a film, but you use that film with your coaching staff that's on hand and in there. The main thing for me is like, you know, we have psychologists on our staff that are really, really expert and brilliant at this, but 70% of my time is built around giving the player a very narrow boundary of himself. 
and getting him to optimize and say, your focus every day is here. You have your relationship, your family, your children, you, you've got your teammates, you've got this, you've got to do this. You know, and I, I talked to him about fame. I'll give you one rule of fame. I'll give you one rule is that you were never born with it and it'll never be there with you at your gravesite. I promise you is that people will know you, but when you're in it and you're in the current, that's when fame is most added. You're kind of a known person, but you're not a famous person, but the game brings that and the game takes it away. So stop trying to be something that is not something that's real and don't respond to fame. Stay away from it. You know, greatness, greatness is a very difficult dynamic because it prevents you in many ways from performing. And you can say, how can that be? I said, it gives you an opportunity to perform, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to execute the performance. You know, Scott, it's always been so important to me that, and I, I, I know that you're all over this, is that to help people realize in like what they're capable of doing and make it clear to them how they can believe in themselves and why they should. And here's all the reasons so that when things start to get rocky, you know, we have a place to return to you get to go back to home base, you know, and find your, find your swing in baseball, find your stride in football, you know, find your shot in, in hoops. And it's so important for us to help guys be comfortable with who they are and be really clear about that. And then, then optimize that, like you're saying, and maximize that ability to keep bringing it to the ballpark, man. And it's it's such a uh, it's such an interesting part of the game. And who who tells you that when you're growing up, you know? And who gives you those kinds of that kind of mechanism to to figure that out? Some guys have the confidence that takes them for a long time, but they all have to find it. They all have to return to themselves as they continue to hold on to their careers. And all. it's a fascinating part of the game. I don't know, uh, Pete. Have you had any agents? Uh, call you to discuss a player's playing time or, or would that go to John Schneider, the GM? How, like, has that dynamic ever entered into your, your uh, picture? In, in, in football, basically John Schneider handles, handles all that stuff um, in general. Now there's relationships that, that you establish over years, you know, with guys and, and there might be a time here and there where uh, we'll make contact, but pretty much try to separate from that. And, and it, there's, it's a little bit of a sacred ground, you know, that we, that the guys hold off. And then when they do get into that kind of conversation, they usually don't sound very, very sharp and they don't, you know, they're, they're not really, it's, they're not at their best. And uh, so there, but there's times, uh, you know, when I do try to help John, you know, with a relationship that we're dealing with, or maybe there's a particular situation, but for the most part, it's it's separate from us. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm struck by the fact that you know all three of us in our respective positions we're we're, we're really trying to just help people get better, uh, yeah. and yet you know Pete, you and I work for an organization, and you know there's 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 always going to be money issues and salary disputes, and and obviously you know Scott, your your job's to get get your client in the best spot possible, the best team possible for his talents and the most money possible. So is that a tricky place for you to navigate? I mean, there, there's got to be times where, you you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of uh, acrimony between you and, and the, the organizations you're dealing with, I would think. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I actually don't allow that to happen much, to be honest with you. I, I'll, be, I'll tell you why. I'm not about money. I'm about value. And the idea of it is value helps an owner. And your job is to make sure that organization knows about the value of the athlete you're working for. Uh, 
And in doing that, you talk about their needs and what it really does and how it fits. And you usually, by taking that process, you're going to learn that um, people believe that negotiations are something where someone wants something that someone doesn't want to give. Okay. And my point is, is that that is not how you ever look at a negotiation. What you look at is that someone must know what they need and someone must know what they have. And so consequently, when you go through that and you build the bridges of saying life with, life without, you're talking about the symmetry of your goals compared to those. You usually find that when you're doing all this, that you create an understanding. An understanding, because the last thing people ever want to be in a negotiation, no one wants to be misunderstood and no one wants to be uh, someone that is not knowledgeable about everything that's going on in the process. And by creating knowledge, and by supplying information and letting the examination of the information go, you understand that if the information is understood, you can really relate to someone having a reason for or not for doing something. And my job is, how much information can you get and what can you bring to a negotiation? That's the burden of it. And the idea is that you're not there to persuade. You're there to create an understanding. And I think if you have that philosophy, you look at this process very, very differently. And you uh, sometimes I've, I've gained information where I'm going, you know what? My perception of the player's value in this context is should be redesigned and, and probably has a lesser value because he wants to be with this team and he wants to be in this setting. Well, with another team, he may have other things that bring more value to them, but where he wants to be and what he wants to do, I'll recommend to the player, you should, you should, if this is what you mostly want, then this is your value here. Your value may be different there, but to get the player to understand his value and the owner to understand his value, that to me is what your real task is to bring an understanding of, and a final agreement. Yeah, that's cool. Information is huge, then, huh? Information is powerful in that regard. I would think, Scotty, because you, you need the stuff. You need the stuff to make sense of it. So somebody who may not want to see it, the, you know, that way for other reasons, you know, you, you have to f put it in front of them every creative way you can to give your, yourself your best shot with your client. That's it's a that's a that's really interesting. It's kind of nice, though, isn't it, uh, Pete, being on the coaching side so we don't yeah, have to really. deal with all that stuff? <laughs> you don't, you don't want to deal with this guy now. No, you don't want to deal with this no, guy. I don't He's want any tough. part of him. <laughs> He's too tough now. He's too tough. <laughs> He's proven that. Well, Scott, let me ask you a quick question about uh, the current uh, state of, of where we are with baseball. And I'm, I'm more interested in when we might play, when we might see games, what they would look like. You know, Pete and I obviously dealing with the – same situations in the NFL and the NBA. We're all trying to figure out what sports are going to look like. Uh, you're in the middle of all this with uh, with baseball trying to resume. What can you share with us in terms of uh, how you think this might look once they're up and running or, or if they even uh, are going to be up and running? Uh, the opening of the sports obviously are conditioned upon the evolution of our understanding of the medical science uh, of the virus. And we, we have got our country is so blessed because we have got amazing medical minds. 
institutions, uh, really our world too. And where we've gone in 10 weeks with really the COVID antigen hitting in the world, it's been remarkable. We have immunologists in England that the the genome of the uh, COVID-19 is a single strain virus versus like a Spanish flu, which is a triple strain. And so that RNA is, we had the SARS virus back in the early 2000s. That virus, uh, they they had, it's, this COVID-19 is 96% similar in the genome. So the scientists had a great advantage in determining how to get to a vaccine. And we've had now two clinical trials. I think there's as many as 10 companies now that have entered into clinical trials for a vaccine. And uh, when you read the medical journals and such, where they are, what they're doing, I'm very encouraged about us having a vaccine long before the normal year and a half wait that we normally see for uh, vaccines to arrive. The therapeutics are, uh, are also taking major steps. Uh, we have convalescent plasma, uh, where you actually have the antibodies through, you know, merely transfusion, and you give it to, you can give it to uh, athletes or workers or uh, patients, and and it's like uh, again the these uh, IgG antibodies uh, basically block the cellular membranes so that the COVID virus can't attach, and uh, they are a tremendous therapeutic, uh, providing immunity that is evolving, um, and we've also. Uh, basically been able to understand the parameters of the uh, virus from the standpoint of age. And for those of us in the athletic community, um, you know, you're talking about that 18 to 45 group uh, that don't have underlying medical conditions. They're monitored every day. Uh, we have, it's proven to be a very, very, um, you know, the, the really the mortality rate is well less than 1%. We've got now soccer leagues and we've got baseball leagues in Korea and Taiwan operating and they've been operating for well over a hundred days and uh, we've gotten uh, no deaths. We've had no hospitalizations. We've had a few uh, cases, but these players uh, have gone in and they've been quarantined and they've been basically returned to play with it without incident. So, um, but we still have to take great caution for grandparents for parents, uh, for coaches who are in that elderly category, if you will, uh, that 70 and plus group. And yeah, there uh, you we, go. That's we, it. We, That's we got, a good cutoff. That's a good cutoff. <laughs> you notice I cut that, I cut that I, I, light I, off for us. Smart. Right? <laughs> so, but the, those I are, count, I was counting on that. Yeah. Those are things where you got to be, um, a little bit cautious about what you do. And cause the numbers and the probabilities of of mortality are greatly different for that age group. And, but then again, underlying medical conditions have a lot to do, but having the healthcare systems where we're at and everything, I'm, I'm really encouraged about the idea that uh, we can adopt many of the, of the protocols that we've used in Korea and Taiwan, bring that to baseball here and, and hopefully get us going soon. Scott, what have you done to, to, to uncover that, you know, your, your understanding of this, what have you had, what extent have you gone? Well, it's a, it's it was very fearful for me, and and I got buddies who are work for drug corporations in Europe, and I flew to Russia to have a meeting with them and and sit down and under this understand this thing, and and then we 
got together. I called doctors in Taiwan and, and Korea to really understand what they were doing well in advance of us, uh, really studying the Chinese community. And, and uh, you know, when you're, you're kind of brought up with medical journals, it's, uh, I don't want to sound really boring, but, but you, you, you kind of read these things when you come home because I've always been interested in science and adaptive things. And so there's been so much driven. And then you know, the amazing thing, too, is that the doctors that are in sport, we have great orthopedists who cover all sports and um, and talking to we have 87 doctors in our profile for every different type of medical injury that you have. And uh, I haven't found a doctor for your forehead yet, people. I'm working mm-hmm. on that. But the, <laughs> uh, the 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 answer to that is that we're. All these doctors are doing, and they all have, they're like octopuses of information. And I've literally generated, you know, um, just hundreds of pages and files to put this together. And then for our clients, we've gotten the cooperation of the medical community has been extraordinary. We've had doctors from all over get on the Zoom with us, educate our players, talk with them, go through it talk about the safety of their families, their parents, their children, the ability to play, what to do, how to do it, uh, shared it with the union, shared it with owners. So it's really been a, uh, for me, it was almost like returning to medical school for the last you know, 120 days to get our hands on this, to share the information with our players and, and the people in our sport. Has there been... Uh- is there much opportunity for you to share that with other, with the other leagues, like with 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 NBA coming around the corner and and NFL coming around the corner? Have you have you had gotten there yet or not yet? You know, we we've had a obviously in the sport industry you grow and things, but you, you get a few people that have called. And the hardest part about this, you're you're very hesitant about sharing information about decision making with an athlete. And I know all of our athletes because we have the medical files for years. And if an athlete had an, uh, an unknown medical condition and you're advising him to do something and who knows, he, he, he might have a, you know, some sort of uh, uh, hormonal defect uh, that is not yet diagnosed. Uh, you're just very cautious about giving information to someone when you really don't know their medical history. So for that reason, I've stayed very narrow in the, in the processes, but talking to, you know, league officials and other sports, I, you know, I know a few general managers and, and, and other sports and things I've shared the, the base information with them so they can, you know, and give them some contact numbers so they could advance it. This is the first ever uh, sports slash epidemiology podcast. <laughs> we have, uh, yeah, really? we're setting a standard. It's it's impressive. I don't know where you, I don't know where we go from here, Steve. I think we're in deep trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our, our our next broadcast, we can talk about salpingo oophorectomies if you guys like. I don't know. There you go. There you. Go. <laughs> I was wondering that. about those. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, having said all that, it sounds like you are relatively confident that we're going to be able to, to see sports um, coming up before too long, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, I think the, the one thing, I go by the medical community every week and it keeps getting better, better, more defined. And unless we have an interruption with that information, um, we're, we're fortunate in baseball because we're a social distancing sport. You know, we don't really have the the contact level or anything like that, the, uh, um, that certainly you have in basketball or football. And so the idea of 
of getting the testing, which I think is going to be really important in contact sports, where you can come to the ballpark every day and uh, our stadiums, I think you guys call them in those games, but the uh, you can come there and you can say, hey, I can get a sputum test daily. I can get it in 15 minutes. We're going to have the technology to get about a, uh, a 96% accuracy rate for that, where it can be something your medical professionals can look at and really, and, and also these testing might be able to tell you if someone did have it, where they're at in the virus uh, in that period of time with it and what they need and how they go through it. I think that's going to give everyone a lot of comfort to know we're playing in a in a league and around people that are we're assured are, are good to go and that they're not going to be in any way impaired by playing the game themselves and also the players they play with. Well, I know we're all aching to get back out there, but whether yeah, we're, it's we're coaching for you, come on, Scott. We're, <laughs> yeah. You got You got to get this done. No, but we want to say thank you for, uh, for coming on today. This has been great. And uh, fun to hear a little bit about, about Pete's playing career too. I mean, I got to get, I got to get one more story. Get, you got one more story about, uh, no, about got Pete? Come you on. got no more Come stories. On. No, he didn't. No more. He told enough. He, he, he told enough. He, he, he told <laughs> about all of the woes and the, and the, and the concerns <laughs> of bodily. But, and, you know, the, the interesting thing is with all the hitting with our heads we used to do in the day, I, I'm trying to be the, the best in the world at coaching shoulder tackling and, and getting hit out of football. So uh, yeah. it was it was a long, hard road for me to get to the point where I would I would agree that ball could be played without sticking your head right in the middle of it all. And, and uh, but we have learned. And I, I you know, so I I'm taking I'm proud of that, that I've been able to know where you know, Scott, know what you know where I came from. Uh, it's been a long, long haul, but the game has really changed and we're fortunate to be part of it. And I'm glad we are. I can, uh, I can vouch for Pete because when I visited you guys up there, Pete in Seattle, you had a whole uh, seminar for your players, for your defensive uh, players on uh, tackling without the head. And yeah. you showed uh, rugby you showed rugby highlights um, yeah. because obviously rugby, you don't have pads, you don't have helmets. And uh, you, you were teaching basically rugby, rugby technique, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Getting the head out of football. And it's, it's been, a, um, it's been a really exciting kind of uh, shift because it's, it's been an evolutionary moment for the game somewhat as we move forward and we all have to go this way. And, and, there's a great way to play the game. You, this doesn't have to affect the game at all. We just didn't know that for a long time. We kind of took the easy way out. The equipment allowed us to just keep getting more ferocious and more aggressive with you know with our heads. And and uh, fortunately, we've taken a good turn, and we're going to help the players for the for the long haul. And and really, the game has really made a a great positive turn because of it. Excited about that. One more story about Pete. Yes. Oh, oh I thought I tried to talk my <laughs> way through that. Yes. Let's go. Home. I, there was this track coach. And he, this guy really taught a lot of sprinters. And I always say I, I could run when I was in college. And then I went to spring training and I found out, oh, my God, no, they can run. <laughs> so, but the, 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 uh, the coach gives me this technique. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm, I'm better. I'm, I'm doing it. So I'm in the gym on campus one day and I'm doing it was raining. So I was running inside doing sprints. Pete walks up to me and goes, you're running different. What is it? And so I said, you know, I went to this track coach and he taught me this and that and whatever. And so I go, I go in the next day and I'm walking the gym and he's got this technique down and he, 
And I said, damn it, he's doing it better than I am because he's, <laughs> he's got the perfect rhythm. He got it down in a day. It took me about a month <laughs> to figure it out. So that's how, that's how adaptive he is. It, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't enough. The, the, last, the, the, <clears throat> the last coach that I talked to about playing the game, he said, he said look, you, you can play the game. You got some good stuff. But if you get hit in the thigh one time, you ain't going to be fast enough to tackle anybody. <laughs> so you're out. No, that was that was that was my last shot and I was cut forever. I'm still pissed. Oh, <laughs> Love it. I appreciate it, Scotty. Yeah, Scott, right. thanks for coming on. It was great. Good luck getting getting everything rolling again and uh appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on. It's really a pleasure. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, Scotty. Take care, Pete. See you, Steve. All right, Pete.